0: Welcome to the second episode of Invasion of the Potty People, the monthly podcast that dives into the latest goings-on in the world of the horror genre. We'll tell you the news that's got us excited this month, the films that have thrilled us, and as it's nearly Christmas, there's a few festive treats along the way. So this month you'll be hearing from...
1: Hello, it's me, uh, Mark, from the Snakewell Horrorcast uh, and Bloody Good Reads, and I'm here to give you festive joy and some stuff.
2: And then we've also got... It's Vincent. yippee Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm uh, broadcasting to you from the horrid halls of uh, academia, uh, where I hope to find <clears throat> many interesting things to tell you and probably some that'll make you shake in your shoes. Or even, you may not be wearing shoes. And um, I'm Russell, and I'll be the one
0: person wrangling these two into giving you some answers of what you should be watching, reading, listening to, and enjoying this December break. And first up, we're going to dive into the news that's excited us. And I'm going to go first, and I'm going to talk about what might be one of the biggest changes to happen to cinema this year. And there's been a lot of big changes. It's that Warner Brothers have announced that all of their 2021 films, in America at least, will have a day and date release on the HBO Max streaming service. And this is huge news. This is basically, I think, where cinema has been going towards for a long time, which is at some point someone was going to have to do day and date releases. And the films they're going to release are the likes of uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, The Third Conjuring, The Second Space Jam, The New Suicide Squad, Dune, Matrix 4. And they're going to start it with Wonder Woman, which I saw yesterday. And it's pretty decent. It was quite an enjoyable fair. And they are now going to just release them at the same time as at the cinema on their streaming platform. And it feels like a reality that they're having to grapple with, with the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic and that their biggest market, America is not going to be in order for in the best part of the first nine months of 2021 that it just, if a place is having thousands of deaths a day from a pandemic, from a virus like this, people aren't going to go out and watch films at the rate they have to. And so there's been some conversation online about this. It's quite controversial. It feels like uh, another big moment. And there's also a lot of talk of this killing cinema. And there's been that talk with all the decisions made this year by studios, including Disney putting Mulan straight to Disney Plus or Bond being uh, pushed back several times. And all these things just feel like the reality of our situation, which is that people don't really want to go to the cinema, except for some strange people like me. So I'm excited to see what this means. For UK listeners, this doesn't... It's not quite concrete what this means for us it means that probably we'll get a cinema release of these films and then about a month afterwards a platform like sky or now tv will pick this up and either have a premium release for it or it'll be straight to now tv but whatever happens i think this is an interesting exciting way to respond to the pandemic and also feels like it's just grappling with the reality that cinema is less is is less of a draw than it was particularly at a time like this did you guys have any thoughts about this?
1: I mean Disney's already started doing this. Like you said, with Mulan and especially with their kind of Marvel slate as well. They are focusing a lot on watching stuff at home. And yeah, unfortunately, and it is really sad to see, but it is it is closing a lot of doors for cinemas. You know, you have your cinemas like Prince Charles, which is amazing, does the kind of the evenings and the kind of classic movies. Cinemas like that might actually last it out. But we all moan, of, I love cinemas. I absolutely love cinemas. I love going to Fright Festo. I love the experience. On my own, <laughs> on the bottom run, the worst thing about cinemas is people. And if you can go and watch these big releases at home at a reasonable price, which is what what they have been doing on streaming – um since the start of lockdown you know we've had so many f- films go straight to streaming for 15 quid which if you have a big family and you used to go and see i don't know soul for example you know soul will go on to disney plus which is a tenner or you'll be paying 15 quid which would be five pound a ticket which is a lot cheaper than you would be if you're going you know russia you're, you're a family man you know it's Expensive to take people, it's take not it. It's expensive to take just two, you know, you and your partner, 20 quid to go and see a film. You can get it for 15 quid. Is, is the cinema experience there enough for the casual film goer? I don't think so. I think this is something that has been coming this way for a long time, but has had to start quicker. And it's going to be, it's going to change everything. It's going to change Oscars, it's going to change, you know, how much. Money spent on films and how, you know, because all the money comes from cinemas, you know, again, it is overpriced and it is very expensive to go, but it does pay for the film. So are we are going to see a drop in quality? Are we going to see, you know what I mean?
0: You know? Um, yeah, it's, it gets complicated because there's a lot of uh, different funding that go comes from films. So when they get sold to TV or to go on to home entertainment or any streaming platform, that gets fed through and it goes to people. So there is complications in terms of who gets the money. And if you listen to Tom Cruise's rant, which I didn't really disagree what he was saying, but part of it was that it. the studio system is broken. The studio system that we've had for decades now, probably since uh, Star Wars and Jaws, that's broken because they, they just make $200 million films. And the amount of, business you have to do to recoup that is so huge now and with hits like the avengers films and the marvel films and star wars and various other big blockbusters hit the fact that really studios were just relying upon having four or five of these massive films that would do a billion dollars around the world and that's just not going to happen for at least the next year there's not going to be a billion dollar hit in the next year and with someone like netflix who can release films by david fincher by scorsese by Any number of these huge directors can now get their films released on Netflix. And with Disney now releasing Pixar's soul straight to Disney Plus, and with them kind of embracing, I guess, cinematic TV like The Mandalorian. And The Mandalorian is great fun. I I, I really enjoy it, but it is geared like a film. It is geared like the Star Wars films, And so this just feels like a natural progression for me. And it's sad because I do love cinema, and as you say, Uh, It it is a great experience, and I almost cried in the first 10 minutes of Wonder Woman because I couldn't quite believe that in 2020 I was watching a big blockbuster again because the release dates have been kicked around and it's all been a mess and no one's quite known what to do. I didn't think I was going to get to watch a blockbuster again this year because it it just didn't feel plausible. But this is just, as with everything with this pandemic, everything kind of is being uh sped up changes are being sped up that were coming anyway
2: i think that's an important point there the idea of they were are happening anyway and i've it's been i've been hearing this for years that um simultaneous distribution is the future and what we are getting from um <clears throat> warner brothers is that, that's what it is it's simultaneous distribution now it has happened previously it's um, the the difference here is it's um it's as you say it's their entire slate um, going on to HBO Max. I mean, some of the queries raised over this, I think, it, it is going to prove to be a um, significant event, certainly, because there have been um, various prominent figures in the industry, like Christopher Nolan and Denny Villeneuve, saying that um, they have issue that you know they object to Warner Brothers made this sort of blanket decision without consulting them. And what this I mean, this I think is large seems to be largely to do with to do with residuals, in that. The, the people like directors who take box office cuts, their amount is going to be reduced if films aren't spending as long in cinemas. So I think what we, we may see is some kind of, um, there's going to be, there's probably going to be legal action, there's probably going to be renegotiations of contracts and going forward production deals will be set up differently if this is going to um, be the norm going forward. Um, If I may slightly jump ahead, because this kind of ties into, we've kind of touched on it already on my news, which was all to do with Disney's releases. Um, If that's all right? No, um, absolutely. Yeah, because I think another source of criticism for the Warner Brothers announcement is that apparently HBO Max as a streaming service isn't very good. Um, I mean, I've never seen it. I don't know necessarily how these things work, but the actual method of delivery is... Um, been, has been described as um, su- somewhat substandard. Now, I think the um, Disney Investors Day announcement that came uh, last week when a massive amount of content was announced for future productions that would be going predominantly onto Disney+, Plus, but also some being released theatrically, was notable because that says, you know, as we've already mentioned, Disney are very much go- moving forward with the streaming process with I made up um, I counted these up, with just in terms of Star Wars properties, Disney have announced ten Disney um, Star Wars properties, and granted quite a lot of the Marvel ones had already been announced. But the total number that we now know of following the announcement is twenty three. Twenty three properties being released uh, under the Marvel heading, and that's not including other things like. Um, Spin-off series like Baymax and Zootopia Plus, um, animated series, as well as um, a new reboot of Willow, um, another adaptation of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and um, but also announcements for like Pixar's next film, Turning Red, um, and the fifth Indiana Jones um, is coming. Yes, to to those to to the haters out there, there is a fourth one. Deal with it. (laughs) There's going to be a fifth film. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Retirement Home, maybe. So, all of but with the majority of this material going to Disney Plus, um, it's an interesting sort of microcosm of the industry as a whole because this says, right here we go, we can do direct delivery, creating our own original content, and the kind of production deals that are going to be going on will be designed for that. So, while the Warner Brothers announcement. And the Disney announcement—they're they're quite similar, but it looks as though the Warner Brothers one was kind of has been a rushed and a somewhat reactive one. They're reacting to the situation of the um, of cinemas closing, and you know the idea of, cin- of cinemas being closed. I also agree is a crying shame. I saw Wonder Woman today, and you know, and I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed being in the cinema. Uh, the last thing I saw in the cinema was Tenet. Um, also Warner Brothers. That's funny. Two Warner Brothers releases. <laughs> but the idea of cinemas not being able to show this much is, you know, is a crying shame. Nonetheless, I think it's important not to over dramatize these things. Cinema has withstood all manner of challenges, and I think it will survive going forward. I mean, um, uh, Mark mentioned the uh, the Prince Charles uh, that was uh, that's a, you know a good example, and there are sort of art house cinemas all around um, the United Kingdom and worldwide. They have you know, they, they adapt and uh, they although they are the ones often under most threat. As for the large cinema chains, maybe some of them will close, maybe some of them will be bought out. But I do think that cinema has proved itself a resilient industry and we will and there will still be people like us. Because, you know, I, I go to cinema by myself as well. But I think there are enough people like us who will still be enough to um, keep cinemas going. That's my uh, optimistic feeling.
0: Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you on, on that front in that there are probably too many cinema chains. And a cinema chain like Cineworld already had existing debt. So if, if something like Cineworld doesn't make it through this, it's because it already had business issues with it. And then there will always be cinemas to go to because they're always going to people like us who go to the cinema uh, the, the most interesting thing about right now is that uh, when this was first happening, when Disney plus was first announced, it was this idea that it was going to uh, consume the Netflix audience. And really all that's happened is that audiences at home have been very willing to buy subscriptions to two, three, four different platforms and what's actually being consumed is the cinema audience itself. So they need to become more flexible. They need to show uh, more interesting films. We have one in Oxford that is an independent cinema that I know is surviving quite well right now because it shows films that are more esoteric and, and it doesn't rely upon the big blockbusters. So it has releases because there are still films being released. So it, it's just a really interesting time. And I think, as an audience member, we're going to end up watching some great stuff. I'm not sure what's going to happen to all the studios and everything else, but that's, there will always be uh, TV and film for us to watch. Absolutely. totally agree. And uh, Mark, you're going to talk to us about a game, aren't you?
1: Yeah. So I'm taking a little bit of a different turn um, on my one. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm going to do a bit of a double because um, obviously, as you can tell, um Two other hosts can't be here just, uh, tonight, um, but something that Chloe was going to bring up as well was another game. So i I might just put them both into one as a kind of because they're both kind of the same kind of kind of story, really. But um, get a bit of a rise now in horror video games. So we've seen it with obviously the Resident Evil series getting rebooted as a first person, you know, takes a Chainsaw Massacre s kind of game. Um, you had the Blair Witch Project getting released as a game as well uh friday the 13th but now they're gonna go down to celebrate the 30th anniversary or 40th anniversary just in case i'm wrong of of, um the cannibal holocaust um which is a very strange game to pick really if you're gonna pick a video game to base on a movie um yeah so you got the new Cannibal Holocaust game, which is supposed to be set after the events of the first movie, supposed to be a direct video game sequel, interactive horror. So I'm assume it's going to be very much like Until Dawn. It's kind of what I'm picturing personally. um We've also got uh, Bruce Campbell coming back as the voice of Ash for an Evil Dead video game as well. So it just seems like this huge resurgence of horror video games, which we had a lot kind of in the 90s and the 90s years we had a lot of kind of uh Nightmare on Elm Street Friday's 13th games you could play they're all shit but you know we still had them so uh what do you guys would would you guys play this game I mean would you would you go for for a game based on one of the most controversial movies of its time (laughs) just 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 for shits and giggles or would you um what what films would you like to see
2: Just for shits and giggles, sure. I mean, I am not a gamer. Um, Video gaming, for me, sort of didn't go beyond Super Mario Bros. 3. Yes, that's showing my age. Um, But having said that, I have seen a lot... I've watched a fair few um, other video game players, and they look um, astounding. And I can well imagine horror games being particularly scary. And I must say, an Evil Dead um, video game sounds, well, groovy. and. You know, that's something I'd be up for. Uh, make uh, I'd be up for um, certainly watching somebody else play it. I probably wouldn't try playing it myself because I just get frustrated because I'm rubbish at them. <laughs> but I love that. Um, but it is actually, I will tell you what, it's an interesting. Exa- it's another example of the sort of, um, I guess, of the reboot um, phenomenon. You've got the uh, this established property, the known um, brand, and here it is, and it's and and, and this game. these game adaptations and sequels um, trying to capitalise on that. I will say I find the idea of a Cannibal Holocaust video game sequel to, as you say, one of the most controversial um, films ever made, actually very funny um, because it shows, hey, look how mainstream this has become. Um it mm. seems a long way from the the kind of um original discourse around the that particular film at least. Um but then again, you know, we've had there's been there's often controversy around video games. Maybe it'll come out for this one as well. Ban this sick filth sort of thing. Well, so um I expect I the discussion. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, Manhunt came out what, ended the, the start of the thousands, but I ran the kind of PS1 times and that was kinda of highly kind of banned especially the Wii, Wii version where you can gouge someone's eye out by using a Wii remote um yeah <laughs> but <laughs> no, i think you're right i mean controversies and video games always go hand in hand but it's, i suppose it's like 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 some of the movies we get now i think you get less people are less worried about controversy people get offended quite easy and people do get offended by a lot and rightfully so with some of the movies Serbian film as an example, yes, be offended by this movie, but even that's now getting a re release, an uncut version. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> really don't want to see that again. <laughs> it, it seems was- like people aren't cared, they don't care as much now. It's not so much of a,
0: of a backlash. I don't know
1: if it's just, just, just me or. I don't know.
0: A <laughs> bit of a gamer occasionally. I've played more games this year than I normally do, but that's because of the year. Uh, I don't really play much of horror games because they scare me so i, I played Isolation for a bit and then i just couldn't handle being stalked by the alien so i stopped mm. playing it and i've played a couple of hours of the resident evil 7 and it's utterly terrifying and i so i think that as a medium games are really interesting to get across something like horror because they're very immediate and you can do a lot with them and they can play around with your expectations and and they can. Uh, take away your controls and take away what you can use and put you in a position where you just you feel bereft. Um, I haven't seen Cannibal Holocaust, so I, I don't know if I'm interested in a game of it because I haven't seen it because it has a reputation and I'm a bit like, maybe I'll watch it someday. But I would be all over an Evil Dead game if it was good because mm-hmm. if it was fun and silly and if it got that, particularly the second film if you've got that quality that the second film has that it's that anarchic cartoon that's just a it's so much fun to watch and if you can get in a game that would be an incredible game
1: i do think this just just the whole genre in general i think fits well because like I'm saying with especially alien isolation it's tense as hell but because you're so immersed and you are especially first person it's so immersed in be in the eyes of the person you're controlling, and you're just so into the game. Wearing headphones is even worse. Um, I can't play them; never be able to play them. I can watch horror films to the kids until the sun goes down, mate, right? but I can't do games for some reason. I just can't do it anymore. It's my nerves, you see, and getting old.
0: <laughs> so those are our news picks of the month. And there's been some big juicy news items there. And now we're going to recommend some things for you to watch. So this month, we're going to give you something old, something new, a couple of festive watches each, and something that's not a film. And first up, Vincent's going to give us his picks of the month.
2: So starting with my something old, I'm going to recommend Candyman. Don't say it again, anybody. I rewatched Candyman not long ago and was super impressed with... Um, the, its balance of um, mood and atmosphere and gore, um, as well as some very interesting politics in terms of gender and race. Um, if you haven't seen Candyman in a while, I think it's worth checking out, especially with the remake coming up. Um, and if you have never seen it, then I think you should. Um, it's because it is genuinely scary and genuinely interesting. And frankly, if you don't get all sort of if you don't have a strong reaction to hearing tony todd's voice then um i don't know what you're where you're coming from really so um candy yeah i think it's um, definitely worth checking out again or for the first time for something new perhaps not a million miles away from Candyman, um i recommend the film his house now streaming on uh, netflix um this is one of my films of the year I mean one of, it's probably the best horror film I've seen this year but it's one of my best films of the year full stop um his house is um enthralling it is terrifying it is heartbreaking it is important I think it's an important film um be in terms of its um of, it, of its politics of showing a very underrepresented group um that of asylum seekers in mainstream cinema um and what's remarkable about it is um that even though you know I was seeing people um in his house that I have absolutely no connection with no nothing the sort of similar experience but I completely understood the awfulness of their situation and it was a, as I say it was a heartbreaking watch um because of that so his house I cannot recommend enough slightly away from horror talking about something festive um I've got a one that's kiddie friendly and one that isn't um which I guess you could also say is something new and something old. My kiddie-friendly something new is Klaus. Um, This is, again, a Netflix film available on Netflix. It is an absolutely beautiful, heartwarming, um, touching, moving, animated Christmas fable um, that was released uh, last year. It was actually nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Well deserved nomination. And yes, I re watched it just the other day, and it's just as delightful the second time around. And I should emphasize, it's a delightful and heartwarming film, but without being overly sentimental um, or sugary. It's got a kind of a melancholic undertone to it. So yes, Klaus, absolutely, that's wonderful for the whole family. Also, in a way, wonderful for the whole family is that Christmas classic, Die Hard. I know, I know, every year there's the argument about, no, that's not a Christmas film. Oh, yes, it is, yada, yada, yada. We've heard that argument many times. For me, Die Hard is a Christmas film. It wasn't always, but I think of it as one now. And if you happen to be interested, if you'll forgive the plug, on the Indie Film Library website, I've just published an article uh, explaining what makes Die Hard a Christmas film. Um, But even if... You, know, you don't think of it in those terms. It's a fantastically enjoyable film. This is an action movie that stands up after more than 30 years um, with you know genuinely exhilarating action, very smartly written script, some very memorable lines. So yeah, if you haven't seen, as I said with Candyman, if you've never seen Die Hard, sort that out. And if you haven't seen it in a while, give it another go. Um, and if you saw it last week, maybe you fancy watching it again. It's that enjoyable. In terms of something not a movie, as I have done before, I am going to recommend the competition. So finish listening to this podcast, obviously, but afterwards you could do a lot worse than if you check out the Final Girls podcast. Um, this is run by the Final Girls, who are kind of a film um, screening uh, collective. Um, Anna Bogatskaya is the co-founder and she runs the podcast. She has themed seasons talking about the intersections of feminism and horror cinema um the season on vampires has just started up. There's also one on monsters. She gets various guests on. If you're um a fan, say of the Evolution of Horror Podcast, many of the guests from there come up on the Final Girls as well. Um and the kind of and the discussions are very insightful, really interesting. Um they might prompt you to check out some films you've not seen, or maybe they'll help you to look at some films that you are familiar with in another way so yes when you're done with this podcast i suggest you check out the final girls and those are my recommendations fabulous mark
0: what are your recommendations
1: okay so for my non-festive movie pick and it is very unfestive uh, it is the 2003 french horror film haunt tension or switchblade romance or high tension or whatever the free name you want to give it brilliant film i've been looking at a lot more the extreme european horror which i'm looking for new stuff to kind of do throughout the next season of the horror cast so this one marie and alex of best friends alone at home with a serial killer stalking them brilliant twist in about the middle middle way through but this film is brutal it's absolutely brutal they're the horrid scene involving a chest of drawers and a head, which you have to watch to kind of say, kind of understand what that one is, but um, pure, pure example of why during the 2000s, the early 2000s European horror, especially French horror was absolutely brilliant, you cannot beat kind of French horror, uh, you know, films like this, um, got Dem, brilliant film um, you've got martyrs you've got inside all really extreme really brutal horrors but with such a brilliant story stuff you didn't really get in cinema around the 2000s especially in american cinema you know spanish french even kind of korean asian horror brilliant stuff so i highly recommend going at that i don't want to say too much about it because you know there's, there's, I doesn't want to bring the twist but um that's my that's something old but something new I'm going to go for a book. Now, as you know, I, I run Bloody Good Reads um, and we love to kind of push books and new books on that one. So I'm going to push a amazing little book. a nice little coffee table book, especially a brilliant... If it comes out before Christmas, you need to get the same for Christmas. I highly recommend getting this on a fast track on Amazon. It's the, the Art of Pulp Horror. Lovely book. Absolutely beautiful pictures in there. All the amazing kind of pulp book and cinema posters uh, from from back way when um, it talks about the history of kind of the the pulp horror uh, series so you'll go from your posters for like the Hammer movies to the books of Brian Lumley even guest on the in bloody good reads Sean Hudson's books as well um, beautiful artwork just to buy the book for that really but the history behind it um absolutely brilliant so i highly recommend that book my something festive i have to do it this is the kids friendly one uh it's a film i have to watch every year it's a disney movie to pick someone but not many people really know of it it's called prep and landing Uh, about two elves who are doing the pre checks before santa comes so they make sure that you know the milk is the right temperature the uh Way in is, is clear for Santa to come in, um, and it's about two hours. Lenny is the stupid one and gets him into trouble. Um, and it's a, such a sweet Pixar movie, and there's two of them to watch. Usually, you get it on Channel 4, not, not sure if we are going to be doing it this year, but um, you can buy them over on Amazon as well. And maybe you never know, Disney Plus might show it at some point. Uh, so that's my festive kids friendly, yeah. <laughs> now, my non Christmas-friendly one is going to have to be the absolute classic of Stalled, which weird old premise. It's a zombie movie of a guy trapped in a toilet stall. And this showed at Fright Fest. It was a it was a huge laugh. I've seen it quite a few times now. It's a brilliant little film. Uh, so a guy is at a Christmas party in his office block where it gets invaded by zombies. So he's trapped inside this cubicle with a co a coworker of his, cut the doors down. It's him and this, and this woman trapped in this cubicle. And they've got to try and basically find a way out of the cubicles to uh, kind of escape from the zombies. So a uh, bit of a laugh for Christmas. Obviously not for kids. Um, so no, that's that's my pick for that one. Am I something not horror? It was going to be something called Slay Duggy, but I'm actually changing my mind. There's actually a new podcast that i I've been talking to the hosts for a little while now, and they've been doing such a brilliant job on their podcast. I just have to give them a shout out. So, I, yeah, I shouldn't really be recommending a horror horror podcast, but I'm going to. It's called Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. Now, these boys have been doing such an amazing job, but they started off doing the ranking of uh, fifty one of the franchise six franchise movies. So from Elm Street, Halloween, yeah, 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 yeah. um, not a not a, a uh, not a small feat as you can probably uh, probably imagine, <laughs> but they also did you know Deep Blue Sea. They've covered Twenty Days Later, Last House on the Left, um, and they do rankings. And I'm a list freak. I do love lists, so uh, no, highly recommend them. So you can find them over on iTunes as well. So that's Corn Syrup, a horror podcaster. So that's my pick for that.
0: Lovely, my picks this month uh, first up my something old is perhaps my favorite Alfred Hitchcock film It's rear window which I watched again a couple of weeks ago and it is this wonderfully tense often very funny but also occasionally kind of quite scary thriller about a man who is has a broken leg and is confined to his flat and believes he sees one of his neighbors across the courtyard uh, having uh, dispatched his wife. He doesn't see the act, but he sees enough around it to, to be suspicious of this. And he gets his partner and his um Merce and various other people involved in the investigation. And it's just a wonderfully confined thriller. And it's it, my favourite Hitchcocks are the ones where he will on some technical level restrain himself. So I love Rope, for example, where it's um shot as if it's one take, and he basically shot as much as he could on a real and then would go into the back of someone or go into something and then come out of that and then the shot would continue. So Rear Window is perhaps my favourite Hitchcock and it's on now TV and even though it's from the 50s and it feels like it should be rusty, it's not. Jimmy Stewart's probably his best in this film and it's gorgeously shot and presented and everything about it just clicks for me. My Something New was going to be a film called Ropes, which is this great Spanish thriller, but I watch another thriller today, and it's going to be that one, which is a Welsh one called Concrete Plans, which came out a couple of weeks ago on uh, streaming platforms, uh, straight to streaming. So this is written and directed by Will Jewell, and it's about uh, a group of builders who get brought into a sprawling old farmhouse to do up a barn, and it's this simmering tension sort of builds and builds and builds and builds in the first half. And you know... So the opening is, is a shot of the devastation afterwards. So you know there's going to be violence. And when it comes, it's brutal and it's upsetting. But because it spent its time making some of the characters quite likeable, it's a really effective little film. And I was quite surprised of how much I was taken with this film. So you can find that um, on uh, Straight to Streaming. So go off and find that. And it's really worth uh, spending an hour and a half in its company. My Something Festive. So the one for the uh, families, and this is a, a plug for my own podcast, not just for kids, where we have just released an episode covering this. Is the Muppet Christmas Carol, which I have to watch every year, and it is my favorite interpretation of Dickens. And it's warm and funny, but it has this really melancholic edge to it, and it's a really sad message, and it gets across the sorrow at the heart of Dickens. It has great songs. It has narrators, who one of them's a rat that keeps getting dropped into things, and it's just wonderful and it's under an hour and a half and it's it's a joy and my uh something for adults is perhaps my favorite christmas film and my favorite batman it's batman returns which i watched the other day and it's such a weird film it has all these weird little things to it's it got this warped gothic circus feel to it there's a michelle pfeiffer's catwoman in a skin tight leather cat suit and she's going through this strange transformation and journey in herself and then it has perhaps my favorite villain which is danny devito's penguin who is repulsive and i love him in it he is so good in this and it's it's what i wish batman would go back to being Uh, i watch every batman film and i enjoy pretty much every batman but this is the one that's my batman i've loved it since i was a child when i shouldn't have been watching it and i love it as an adult and finally my something not a film is perhaps the strangest listen I've had this entire year. It's a BBC fictionalised podcast called The Sink a Aid, which is a, a sort of horror comedy. It's from a writer called Natasha Hodgson, who has wrote for various Cartoon Network shows and has a company called Kill the Beast, who do very strange, very funny theatre. And it is essentially dreams being played back to you and they are some of the oddest things I've listened to. There's six episodes, which are six sessions of this sort of program that's been gone through where someone's dreams are being played back and analysed, and it has the wonderful Alice Lowe at the centre of it who is sort of the narrator for it, and it is odd, and I'm not sure I quite entirely get it, but I admire what it is trying to do, and it's like nothing I've ever listened to. So that's my pick. Who is that? Helen, I came for you. And next up, we're going to have a quiz. So if you can get your pens and paper ready, you can play along at home. It's going to be a Christmas quiz. Ten questions about uh, festive horror. And the guys are going to play along, aren't you guys? Oh, yeah. Do you have your uh, writing devices? <laughs> excellent so i'm going to ask you 10 questions mm-hmm. and you can answer them and then we'll have answers at the end of the show so the first question is the three rules for a gremlin are to avoid bright light not get them wet and to not feed them after midnight but what happens if you break each of these rules and you get a point for each right one number 2 which christmas horrors cast contains tony Collette and adam scott and has a link to godzilla kings of monsters Number three, Where's Bentley plays the antagonist, Alexander Adger wrote the script, and it takes the name from the parking lot of its setting, but what is the film? Next up, it's a home invasion Christmas film where the lead uses paint cans on a string as a weapon, but it's not home alone. What is the film? We're at the halfway point, and the question is which country is Rare Exports set in? Which festive musical features the songs "Hollywood Ending," "Nothing's Going to Stop Me Now," and "Give Them a Show"? Number seven, Bob Clark directed Porky's, A Christmas Story, and Baby Geniuses. But what festive slasher did he also direct? Which '90s horror sees a serial killer melt and fuse with snow, coming back as a homicidal snowman? <laughs> Our penultimate question is, The Devil of Christmas is an episode of which BBC comedy? And finally, how many Silent Night, Deadly Night films are there? Excellent. Pens and pencils down, and we'll have those answers after our next round. So now we're going to give you what we think is the film that has defined 2020, not what our favorite horror is, but the horror we think that best sums up the experience of being in 2020. So to start things off, Mark has picked a film for us. What have you picked Mark?
1: Oh, it's a hard one. It's hard one, but I've gone for one BR or apartment one BR over here. Cause apparently we don't know what one BR means here in the UK. Um, this one's basically it's it's a it's a cult and being inside a community, which is kind of what it feels like nowadays <laughs> with our mask wearing cults that we seem to be in now. You know, it's 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 conforming and I think with one BR it's all about you will conform and you will do what you're told. You will be in the role that you're given. And I think that kind of for me sets off Really, what we are in now—it is all conforming. I know we're doing it for the greater good, but it is the—you know—especially our government over here in the UK. It's very—you uh, know—they don't know what they're doing after time. <laughs> you know, and it feels like you know—it is we are being told what to do, even if it is for the greater good, and it is—you know—for that. So that's, that's my film to kind of sum up what I think twenty twenty is like. Obviously, without the nails in the hand, of
2: course. Um what's your pick? Mine is Sea Fever. Now, this was one that um, was out um, earlier in the year, kind of May time. And what's interesting about it is that it is incidentally, um, unintentionally, is, I think, um, a good summation of the year. If you are not seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a really um, creeping and atmospheric um, horror film, kind of alien meets the thing, um, all at sea, um, as a group of as a as a fishing boat with a research student on board, discover something that they really wish they hadn't. Um, but what's interesting is that um, the film's release in 2020 just gives it this sort of unexpected relevance because it's an infection horror. Um, and over the course of the film, there are questions on how to test for infection, the necessity of quarantine, who decides, so kind of a triage. And there's taking responsibility for protecting others, and I think this isn't unintended, but it's a pretty chilling dimension to the film. What I found especially interesting about it is um, that it's a film that kind of had me reflecting on my own role in a time of contagion, and also whom I should listen to. I mean, tying into what uh, Mark was saying, do we we don't necessarily tr- regard those in the, the, those in charge as being um, terribly knowledgeable? Nonetheless, we do follow the, the instructions, we do conform. Um, but I think that's on something to think about is it's a matter of keep taking into consideration our own role um so i think sea fever um unintentionally became um a defining film for the year for me because of its um uh, the way it treats the issues of contagion
0: and uh, my pick is is the lighthouse and the lighthouse came out before we were in lockdown it came out in january but it is perhaps for me the film that captures what it's like to be in a lockdown where you are confined to one place with the same people prickling away with tension at being in the same house or the same building. And the lighthouse is about a pair of uh, lighthouse keepers who are sent to maintain the lighthouse, but become stranded there and become, basically don't know when they're going to be rescued, taken from them. A storm confines them and they basically get, drunker and drunker and more and more at each other's throats and their sanity begins to collapse and while lockdown wasn't that bad for me in that i didn't you know drink lighthouse fuel and uh, plot to kill anyone it does capture that very strange feeling of not being quite sure when normality will turn not being quite sure when you'll be able to just leave your house and go about your day-to-day life and the lighthouse is just that film for me that captured what I felt like in at least half of 2020. It's it's a wonderfully strange film that just captures this moment perfectly for me.
2: Yeah, I saw the lighthouse and <clears throat> loved it as well. Um, I can't take credit for this, but I do remember hearing someone just say that this was a film that could actually be be described as both arty and farty. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 that's what i mean what? that's the trouble with you that's the trouble with you with you baker- no!
0: no and the last thing we've got to do is give you the quiz answers okay. oh boy. so let's see how the guys did and let's see how you did at home so our first, our first question was about the three rules of gremlins. And the answer is, for what they do, is Bright Light kills a gremlin, getting them wet, causes them to reproduce, and feeding them after midnight transforms them into a terrifying monster. So you get a point for each of those you got right. The, ho- the Christmas horror that links Godzilla King of Monsters and is, uh, contains Tony Colette and Adam Scott in its cast is Krampus because the director of Krampus directed Godzilla King of Monsters. P2 has an antagonist who's Wes Bentley, is written by Alexander Aja, and takes its name from the parking lot of its setting. The home invasion Christmas film that uses paint cans as a weapon is Better Watch Out. Rare Exports is set in Finland. The musical Anna and the Apocalypse contains Hollywood ending Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now and Give Them a Show. Uh, Bob Clark is the director who made Porky's A Christmas Story, Baby Geniuses, and the answer, which is Black Christmas. The 90s horror with a, a serial killer made of melted snow and is a homicidal snowman is Jack Frost. Inside number nine has the episode called The Devil of Christmas. And finally, there are six Silent Night Deadly Nights, and I've only seen one of them and one was enough. Are you including... So how did you two do... <laughs> I'm including the remake
2: there, yes. Okay.
0: How did you do, guys? I got six. Mark? Nine.
1: Wait! Yeah. did you get? the? For each one, so Death, Multiply, and Mute. I uh, got Park and Not 2, because I loved that film. Brilliant film. Uh, Better Watch Out, Netflix, brilliant movie. Uh, didn't get the... I said Iceland or Norway. Yeah. Uh, Any Apocalypse, Black Christmas, Jack Frost if I didn't get them right then uh, what have I been doing all afternoon? Because I've been watching that all afternoon <laughs> uh, Inside number nine and uh, I put five I wasn't including the fucking remake <laughs> Yeah,
0: But you won anyway so yeah. well done So this has been a- another episode of Invasion of the Potty People We'll we be back in 2021 with more recommendations, more news that's excited us and even more fun things like maybe a few rants about what annoys us about horror or quizzes we'll, whatever it is we'll choose to do but for now it's goodbye from
1: uh so that's goodbye from me uh, mark so i am available over on twitter at name horror uh also over on at bloody Good reads on twitter as well if you want to come see the other side of the podcasting world where i'm talking on my own to authors and making them pick books Which is apparently an awful thing to make authors do. Uh, So you can catch me over there. You can also uh, find all the reviews um, as well over on Snakebite Horror, as well as all of the uh, bloody good read recommendations from the authors as well. So uh, yeah, catch me there. Oh, and every fortnight on Snakebite Horrorcast.
2: And it's goodbye from goodbye from Vincent. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram on uh, Doctor Gain. That's D R G A i n e um, you can find my reviews on vincent's views um, at vincentmgain.wordpress.com you can also find my reviews on the critical movie critics um, as well as Snakebited horror um, you might also find me jumping off tall buildings with a hose pipe tied around my waist but insurance companies don't like me
0: <laughs> and it is goodbye for me russell and you can find me on twitter at Russ loves Movies. I also run the family podcast, uh, not just for kids, where we look at family films throughout the ages and our recent episodes have had a more of a festive feel. So we've done Gremlins, The First Two Home Alones and The Muppet Christmas Carol. We've got coming up soon episodes on Hook, Back to the Future and the sequels, as well as all the way up to Jurassic Park as we're doing a run through Spielberg's films that he's produced and or directed. And you can also find my writing on Snakebite Horror, where I'll be reviewing both the good and the not-so-good of horror, uh, as and when. And we'll be back next month, so goodbye for now. yippee gay